I love that song. <laughs> I could play that song every week. Uh, Keith Green, um, oh Lord, you're, you're beautiful. And so he is. And this morning we were listening in, just in the kitchen, getting ready to come out, and we had that Keith Green on, and we were listening to it. And uh, William, my son, most of you know, um, William's here this morning, he's got Down syndrome, 29 years old. And William came along behind me and I was listening to Keith Green and he just came and tapped me on the shoulder, took both my hands, pulled me up to my feet and just started to dance around the kitchen. And I just thought, Lord, that's the great... And then Jane joined us and the three of us. We danced around the kitchen to Keith Green this morning and we shouted a few hallelujahs because God is so good and he's so beautiful. And his face is all that we need to see. If we could only realise that looking into his face, it just solves everything. It's the answer to everything, is to see the face of Jesus. And this morning we're going to look into a chapter in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. It's just following chapter 3, obviously. <laughs> the last time that we met, we, we were in chapter 3 and we were looking at how Jesus came to be baptised at the Jordan. I want to remind you that when Jesus asked John the Baptist to baptise him at the Jordan, that he was choosing to identify with you and with me. He was choosing to identify with humanity in all the weakness and failures of humanity. It was a baptism of repentance. Jesus did not need to repent but he chose to identify with us in our sin. And when he went down into the waters, he was identifying with us. And I love the fact that when we trust Jesus as our saviour, and we choose to be baptised, that now it's our turn to choose to be identified with him. Isn't that beautiful? He chose to be identified with us. And now that we have received the forgiveness through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, the fact that he overcame sin and death and hell, that now we have this opportunity to choose to be identified with him. And I love, I, I put in your notes Romans 6, 3-4, because not that we have much time to really look at them this morning, but just to remind you that baptism is actually a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. Because Romans 6 tells us, I'm going to just read a couple of verses and I'm, I'm really not getting into this at all. But it says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as, as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be in the likeness, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him and the body, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. I think it's really important you keep that we that we phrase in your mind that we are no longer slaves to sin because he chose to be identified with us in our sinfulness he went to the cross he took our sin on his own body he bore the weight and the penalty of sin for you and for me so that we could choose to go and be identified with him that we could receive him as our savior and as our lord 
and that we could choose to be identified with him. And as we go down under the water, because that's what baptism is, going down under the water, it's a, a picture, if you like, of, of choosing to receive Christ's death as if it was our own. And we go down with him into death, but we rise up again into this new life, which means that we're no longer slaves to sin. That that is the truth. And your title this morning is, You Are Equipped to Overcome. And I think that's an important title because I believe we need to be reminded from time to time that God has equipped us to overcome. But what a price. The price that Jesus Christ paid for us to be free and to be able to overcome sin. The price was was huge. And we should remember that he loved us even unto death. He loved us so much he was prepared to go the whole way to the cross. That's how much the Lord thinks of you. That's how much he thinks of me. And so as we read this morning from Luke chapter 4, we're going to see that after this baptism, you remember last time we saw that when he came up out of the waters, that his Father in heaven, God, spoke over Jesus Christ and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Remember we looked at that? And we also noticed that the, the dove, Holy Spirit, came and rested on him. And in that moment, we had Christ the Son, we had God the Father, and, and God the Holy Spirit resting upon Jesus. And so after that amazing, wonderful, glorious testimony where people at the edge of the Jordan River where this all happened before their very eyes. We see that immediately after that, it says, chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when, when they had ended, he was hungry. Really, really interesting that um, immediately after he was uh, baptized, after this real high, if you like, where God the Father spoke out and affirmed him as the Son of God, that immediately that he is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I wrote down, I read this somewhere, after a high time often comes a hard time. On the heels of triumph, trouble often follows. And sometimes whenever we get a breakthrough and, and we, we, we find that God has blessed us and maybe we've testified or we've done something where we've had a real victory, very often on the heels of that we can find ourselves, have you ever noticed that? We can find ourselves where actually it's like all hell's breaking loose and you're wondering what's happened. But you know, it's interesting that it doesn't say that the devil pushed him out, it says that the spirit laid him out. And sometimes we're very quick to think and to even say that all of these things are coming from the enemy. And a lot of things do come from him. But we need to know that very often it's the Lord who is allowing us to go through certain things. I read um, somewhere this week that um, uh, apparently Martin Luther said that we actually need temptations to grow. Do you ever think about that? Temptation, I read this yesterday, temptation plays a vital role in the growth and maturing of a Christian. And it, plays a, and it played a significant role in the preparation of our Lord Jesus Christ for his public presentation as Israel's Messiah. 
You know, I, I did a course in 1977, stroke 78. It was a course in England. It was to, um, to train me to be able to help people who were blind and partially sighted to use a long cane and to be able to get around. And in order to do that, I had to be under blindfold myself. And that was some crack, I'm not going to that. But, um, and then at the end of the course, we were sent to a guide dog school and uh, we spent a few days with the guide dog trainers. And I was thinking about this this morning because I remember whenever the guide dog was trained and was at the final part of its training, the guide dog trainers used to... Um, as the dog was, was being led by, or as the dog was leading the blind person, these guide dog trainers used to leave lumps of meat just lying on the ground. And the idea was to see if the dog would keep walking past the meat and keep leading the blind person. And the dog had to go through that temptation in order to be able to overcome it, in order to do its job. And I thought this morning of how so often it's like the enemy throws out lumps of whatever. It might not be a lump of meat, but it might be something else that he throws your way. And he wants, you know, the, the, enemies, the enemy really wants to harm you with it. He wants you to take it and then he'll jump on top of you and bring in all the condemnation. But God wants you to overcome it. God wants you to train up. Why? So that you can help plenty of blind people. <laughs> because the world's full of them. There's lots of blind people about who don't know anything about Jesus. But we need to overcome those temptations in order to get strong. I mean, if a child was never corrected and had to learn to walk past the, the, I was going to say the candy store, but that sounds a bit American, you know, we have to train our children too, don't we, that sometimes they don't get everything that they want. And so we see that the, the devil certainly was meaning this for harm, but God was going to actually do something beautiful out of this temptation that Jesus had to go through. And immediately, when you and I think about temptation, very often we think it always comes from the enemy and we think that the enemy, we, we nearly think that, the, that the, the point of temptation is to do us harm, to do us in, but it's not. In fact, I read a lovely little quote that said that when Jesus was, was tempted, it wasn't to do him in, it was to show him off. It was to show that he was past it, that he could not be tempted. And that's what God wants for you and me. He wants us to overcome. He wants us to be overcomers. And so as we read on here, it says, being tempted for 40 days by the devil, and in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when he ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. You see, Satan was coming in on the back of this. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus out into the wilderness. But Satan was coming in on the back of it. And Satan was trying to get Jesus to do things his way instead of God's way. Now, I, I, again, I wanted to quote this to you because I read this somewhere, that the essence of temptation is the invitation to live independently of God. Neil T. Anderson wrote that. He's written a lot of books about Blondie's breakfast. That's a quote from him. I'm going to say it again. The essence of temptation is the invitation to live independently of God. And that's what Satan has always wanted. He hates you and he hates me. He hated the fact that God the Father spoke over Jesus and said, this is my beloved son. And if you notice the very first thing that he says 
in this is. And the devil said to Jesus, verse 3, if you are the Son of God. Now, did you notice that? That God the Father had just <coughs> spoken out, this is my beloved Son, and whom I'm well pleased. What does Satan come right in and say? If you are the Son of God. you know why? Because Satan always tries to make you believe his lies and stop believing what God says. Isn't that what he did to Eve in the garden? Remember the Lord said to Eve, you can eat of every other tree but not this tree. And what did Satan say? Did God really say? He's always trying to make you to doubt what God says. He does not want you to believe the word. He does not want you to believe the promises in the Bible. He does not want you to believe uh, the truth because he wants to harm you and he wants, he does want to, to do you in. He does want to harm you. And so Satan hates what God says and is always trying to make it, to, trying to make it seem as if God's telling lies. And he also hates to see God glorified in our lives. I mean, Jesus had just glorified the Father by going through the waters of baptism and immediately the enemy was in on the back of it and yet i have written in your notes that we should not be unduly alarmed by satan's intimidations because he will try to intimidate you he'll try to bring fear against you he'll try to bring anxieties and worries he will try to do every trick in the book but you shouldn't be unduly alarmed because and this is the verse that i kept going through my head all day yesterday Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And I've written it down in your books, 1 John 4 and 4. And what's the verse that Laurie brings this morning, but? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Laurie had no idea what I was going to speak on this morning. I felt God give me that title, You Are Equipped to Overcome. The words that Laurie used this morning, I was listening very carefully. She said, you have the Holy Spirit in you and you are equipped to overcome. I don't know if you even noticed that, Laurie. Exactly the same words. I believe God is speaking to us this morning. I believe he wants every one of us to sit up straight and realise, you know what, we don't have to go down under all the time. We'll, we'll certainly we'll slip and we're, because we're not perfect, we will make mistakes and we will slip, but we don't have to do it continuously. We don't have to be always under the enemy's foot. And you know, if we do make a slip, God is gracious, and we're going to say that. He is so gracious to lift us up again. But we can live in victory. We can be overcomers. And I just love that. I love the fact that we're overcomers. You know, this morning, again, when we were sitting at the, at the, around the table in the kitchen and we were listening to uh, these songs of, of, Keith, um, of Keith Green's, we were reminded of a song that God used to really speak to me years ago. I was going through a time when I was a bit afraid about a certain thing. And uh, this song, uh, it, it starts off, Hey Mo. <laughs> That's pretty personal, isn't it? And it's a song by Keith Green, and he's talking about Moses. He's singing about Moses, but he, he talks about Hey Mo. And it was a word that really spoke into my... And I wrote down some of the words because I thought you might be interested because I want you to take it as well, not just Mo, but you, and put your own name in. Here's what the words say. You know, there ain't no use banging your head up against that old stone, cold stone wall because nobody's perfect except the Lord. And even the best are bound to fall. Remember, he is divine and you are the branch. He's divine and you are the branch. He loves to get you through if you'll just give him a chance. 
just doing your best and pray that it's blessed, Jesus will take care of the rest. And then he goes on to say, just think about Moses in front of that burning bush, barefoot on the holy ground. He must have been thinking, what's an old dude like me going to tell him, tell him all when I go down? Remember he had a bit of a stutter? <laughs> I love this guy's humour. And then he says, uh, the Lord said, hey Mo, don't you worry about going down south. I'll be saying every word that comes out of your mouth. Just doing your best, pray that it's blessed. Hey Mo, I'll take care of the rest. Now this morning, that really spoke to me afresh because a number of years ago, that was a direct word for me. I'd been reading scriptures that were to do with that and I came in the back of scriptures and it was just, the timing was unbelievable. And the hey Mo really caught me. But you know something else? I want to tell you this. This morning I got something fresh out of it because we turned it on and I had never noticed this before. Do you know what Keith Green says before he starts to sing the song? Here's what he says. He's talking to the people that are with him as he's doing the recording. And he's saying, now don't be clapping till I say these words. And here's what he says. Because there's a little old lady who needs to hear the lyrics in this song. A little old lady. I believe there's a few little old ladies out there. You need to hear it too. <laughs> do you know what? When we just keep our eyes on God and do the best we can and trust him, keep looking into his face and trust him, he'll do the rest of it. We have his Holy Spirit. It's his Holy Spirit. We get the victory, not us. We'll never do it in our own strength. But when we trust him and when we just say, right, Lord, I'll do what I can and I'll trust you to do what only you can do. That's what takes us through. That's the secret to it all. And Keith Green blessed me all over again this morning. I was so blessed by listening to that song. And especially about the little old woman that was out there. That he was telling them all to keep quiet because she had to hear the lyrics. And I think that was me. And he actually said after, God give me the word. And I thought, imagine all this. That guy's dead for over 25 years, I think. Now he died, I think, 70s or 80s. And, and, and you know, what he's, still, what he's saying and what he's singing is still being used by God. Isn't that incredible? The things that you say are powerful. You carry power in your words, girls. When you speak into somebody's life, they can remember that word. I remember words that were spoken to me when I was in my teens, that I still weep over when I would tell somebody about what somebody said to me. You can have an impact that will reach into lives way long after even you've gone. This is what we can do. But does the enemy want you to do it? No. He wants to, he wants to distract you and pull you aside. And he wants to harm you and, and destroy you if he could. And so let's just see what the devil did then. First of all, he questioned if God had spoken the truth. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. It's really interesting about these, um, about these um, temptations because it was the Holy Spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness and he was going to be tempted in every area. And Satan's plan was to destroy him, but God's plan was to turn it for good. And I love that because that goes right back to the story of Joseph at the end of that. You'll read in, in Genesis 50 and 20. Here's what Joseph said. He said, the enemy, you meant it for good, but God, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. And he always does. And if difficult things come around you, yes, the enemy does want to harm you. Of course he does. But God means it for good. And I remember reading 
I used to read a lot when I was in my teens and twenties of the late Alan Redpath. And I remember one of the things that he said, I can't quote it exactly, but I remember him saying that everything has to come past God before it can get to you. And if, it's, if God allows it to go past him and get to you, then you can be sure that he's allowed it to go past because he has a great purpose for it. And you've got to trust him in that purpose. And sometimes that takes time. And, and so we need to trust God at all times. And so these temptations were about every area of his life. And really, they were about three different things. We're going to see that now. But let's just read some of these verses. Let's read them from verse 3. And the devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, said the devil, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to the, to, the, uh, to the devil, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. Do you notice that wee phrase again? For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the, the devil brought Jesus to Jerusalem, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, you the question again, throw yourself down from here. You need to remember that Satan will always attack your identity in Christ. He will always try to tell you, you, if you're a Christian, would you do that? He will always try to come against your true identity. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. He was quoting, he was quoting part of, um, of a psalm, uh, Psalm 139, I think it is. No, maybe it's not that psalm. Uh, 119 is it? I can't remember. 91 is it? Yes, 90, Psalm 91, the end of Psalm 91. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dance your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, to the devil, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, I wanted to read that right through in one block because we need to see, first of all, that the devil has three main areas of temptation and it seems that he goes over these again and again and again the first area is our 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 fleshly appetite which covers just about you know all of the you know the strong desires i mean it it covers starvation it covers all those basic needs for food and thirst it covers all those drives all those basic human drives that we all have that is the, the physical, the flesh part of us, the part of us that wants to be, to be you know, puffed up, the part of us that wants, wants, um, wants everything our way. And, and so the enemy was going after the, the human, physical appetite of Christ's flesh. Remember, he was a real man. He felt the hunger. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. He was weak. And it's at that point where the enemy comes in. And so that first one to make the, the stone bread, that was appealing to his fleshly, his, his, his fleshly appetite, if you like, his flesh. 
his physical appetite. The second of these was a desire for power and possessions. Did you notice that he showed him, he, the devil took him, said, I will give you, he says he took him up to a high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you. Now, we need to remember that, the Satan, that Satan actually was, it was quite, it was quite true. He is the God of this world. And he does have the authority to, to give. What the enemy was saying was actually true. Because at the fall in the Garden of Eden, we forfeited our right to rule this world. And so Satan is the god of this world, and he's described as the god of this world. You can see that in a number of, um, of scriptures, that, that Jesus referred to him as the god of this world. And so Satan was really telling Jesus, if you do it my way, remember what we said temptation was? Temptation is the desire to do things another way than God's way. And although Satan doesn't know everything, he is not omnipotent, he doesn't know everything, he's not, he, he's, he's not like God, he doesn't, he doesn't know everything, and he didn't know what God's plan was, but he wanted Jesus to do things his way because he knew that if he got him to do things Satan's way, then he would miss God's way. And that's the trouble about us, because in our flesh, we, we have desires that we want to do things our way. Isn't that true? And doing things our way instead of God's way, that's where we fall into temptation. That's where we get things wrong. Because it's only doing it his way that will bring out the right outcome. And Satan knows that. That's why Satan tries to tempt you, you know, to divert, to do things the shortcut. And he, Satan didn't know that Jesus was going to die on the cross for our sins. He didn't know that. Otherwise, he would, have, he would not, never have allowed him to go to the cross. He doesn't know everything. He doesn't know everything about you. He's not as big as he tries to pretend that he is. But he will try to make you listen to him so that you will do things your way, Satan's way, any way apart from God's way. And that is the truth. And so he was showing Jesus all the kingdoms. He took him up to this high mountain and he was showing Jesus all the kingdoms. This time he was appealing to the lust of his eyes. Now, there's a verse in um, there's a verse in First John. No, it's not First John four. It's uh, I'll come to it in a minute. But it actually does, here it is. First John two verse sixteen, and here's what it says: All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Now, did you notice that the first temptation was about the lust of the flesh? The second one now is about the lust of the eyes. Now, he took him up to a mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms and he said, if you bow down to me, I'll give you all of that. And I want to suggest to you that our trouble is the fleshly stuff, the things we want to satisfy our fleshly lust is, is one of the main problems. I'll take that second or third or fourth piece of cake because I like it. The fleshly stuff, the pull to the wrong stuff is going to... That's just a small example, but when it comes to bigger, more dangerous things, we so often we listen to what we want in our flesh, what will satisfy my flesh. This is how people are, end up becoming unfaithful to their marriage partner, because of the flesh, because of that pull in the wrong way. So we suffer from the, the, the pull of our flesh. We also suffer from the lust of our eyes. How often do we see something and then we want it? Isn't that the truth? 
And you know, that's why sometimes it's better not to go into the shops, because when you see the stuff, you want it, because it's the lust of the eyes. And again, that's what gets people into trouble, when they see somebody that they want, rather than unhappy with their, with their husband or their wife, and they see with their eyes, and that's, that's part of how Satan operates. So he does this, it's all actually encapsulated in that verse in 1 John 2.16. The three things are there. And uh, the third one then is the desire for public recognition because uh, after Jesus had uh, defeated Satan by using the word of God, remember he said, get behind me Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Satan said, look, I'll give you all this. And Satan uses the word to defend him. He uses the word to defeat him. And, uh, and then the final one is where Satan brought Jesus up uh, to the pinnacle of the temple. That was the highest point in the temple. And Satan brought him up there, and it says that he said to him, throw yourself down from here. And then he begins to quote uh, some of these verses out of Psalm 91. That, and really what he's saying to Jesus is, why don't you just throw yourself down? Remember the word of God. Now Satan is using the word of God. You've got to remember that. Satan is using the word of God and he's saying, sure, the, word, the Bible says that if you throw yourself down, the angels will pick you up and you'll not do yourself any harm. And basically what he's saying is, you'll be a total hero because it'll be such an amazing, it'll be such an amazing, sensational miracle that everybody will be worshipping you. He's appealing to the pride of life. And those are the three areas, our flesh, our lust of the eyes, what we see is what we want, us. and then the, the pride of life, there's that bit, well, why shouldn't I have it all? Why shouldn't I have something sensational in my life? Why shouldn't I make an impact? Pride. And so Satan is using those three things. Now it's really, really interesting that he used the same game, exactly the same with Eve in the garden. If you remember, what did Satan tell her? The tree was good for food. What's that? Physical, fleshly appetite. He told her it was pleasant to the eyes. What's that? The lust of the eyes. And then he told her it was desirable to make her wiser than God. What was that? Pride. And so Satan uses those three things over and over and over again. And you know what? He will tempt you and he'll tempt me in exactly the same ways and exactly the same areas. Martin Luther again said that we need a certain amount of temptations to grow. But here's what he said, and we've often maybe heard this and didn't never realise where it came from. He said, you can't, he says, you can stop the birds from flying over, sorry, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. And that's it exactly. You know, the enemy will come, he will tempt all of us in different ways. He will look for your weak spot and he will come in with suggestions and he will do with you exactly what he did with Jesus. But the thing is that God wants to turn those times of difficulty or temptation into building you stronger and making you realize that you can overcome but Satan wants you to fall again and again and again and again until finally you just give up. And, and we need to remember that the way we overcome Satan is by the word of God. That's what Jesus used. 
And, and where, do we, where do we read that very particularly? Well, Ephesians 6 says that we take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and we have a sword in our hand. You have a sword, which is the Word of God, and you can, you can defeat the enemy with that. Let me read just a little quote here. It says in the Joyce Meyer Bible, Jesus answered every temptation that the devil used against him with God's Word. Throughout Luke 4, verses 1 to 12, we read that he repeatedly said, It is written, and then Jesus quoted scriptures that directly addressed the enemy's lies and tempting schemes. We may start to fight the devil with the word, but when we do not seek quick results, many times we stop speaking the word and begin speaking about our feelings and our circumstances. Now, I want to just stop there. And I want to challenge you, and I'm challenging myself. How often, how often... Have you and I started off by quoting the scripture whenever the enemy comes in? But because we still feel a bit under attack, we kind of stop it and we stop talking about we start talking about the problem again instead of continuing to speak the word. <coughs> Honestly, the enemy will try to get you off track because when you continually use God's word, something is going to happen because it's a mighty sword. Let me continue to read here. It says let me encourage you to be persistent as you wage war against the enemy by speaking the word. A stone cutter may strike a rock 99 times without even making a crack in the rock. But the hundredth strike may split the rock in two. Each blow weakened the rock, even though there was no outward sign of it. Persistence is vital to victory in our lives just as it is in the stone cutter's work. Do not relent in speaking the word against the enemy. The next time you do, it may deal him a death blow. Listen, folks, there are times, and I've seen this in my own life, where we need to speak it and speak it and speak it, and it looks as though nothing's happening. But see God's word? It is powerful. It is strong. It's more powerful than a two-edged sword. And when we, when we use the sword of the word of God, and we use it persistently, and we use it believing God's word to be true, do you know what? You might do it 99 times, but the hundredth time could be the one that will crack. And if it's not the hundredth, it might be the hundredth and first. But we need to be persistent. Don't just give up. That's what we do so often. I do it so often. I'm running around at the minute and I'm thinking my knee's hurting and my back's hurting and everything's hurting and I'm thinking God is going to be like this and I'm saying no Lord I'm believing by your stripes I am healed I am declaring health over myself we need to do it again and again and again stick to God's word and speak it out because it's power in the speaking life and death are in the power of the tongue when you speak all of that negative stuff about your circumstances and about how bad things are and they're never going to get any better you're speaking out death but when you speak god's word you're speaking out truth and you're speaking out life and so we really encourage you that that you would use god's word and that you would be like the lord who overcame the enemy you know i just love this because the temptation in genesis when satan came up against eve and adam Eve first and then got through her to Adam. Do you know what? He used these same three things. And they failed. Our first parents failed miserably. That's why Jesus had to come. Do you know what happened when the first parents failed? They lost the right to run this universe. They lost the title deeds of this earth. That's why Satan could say, look over everything there. I'll give it all to you if you just bow down to me. He, was the legal, he had the legal right. 
You know, so much, many times when I hear people saying, why does God let all these bad things happen? I could really cry. I could get into a bad temper. <laughs> could. Because they forget that we forfeited. We forfeited this world to the enemy. And it's him that's behind the sickness and the torment and the terrible atrocities. We've given it into his hands. Jesus came to buy it back. And he has bought it back. And when we kneel to him and receive him, we are filled with his presence. We're filled with the Holy Spirit and we start to build his kingdom on this earth. And there's still, his kingdom is here, but there's still the other kingdom of darkness. And at this time, they are side by side. But there's a day coming, there's a day coming where the kingdom of darkness is going to be destroyed and where the kingdom of God is going to rule. And we're going to be part of that. It's so worthwhile, it's so worthwhile to grow now and to learn from the temptation and to learn from the stuff that's going on in your life. And it's not easy. This was hard for Jesus to go through this stuff. He was holy and sinless. The Bible says undefiled. That means he was spotless. And yet he had this face-to-face encounter with the dragon himself, with Satan face-to-face, facing him down. And, and, and tempting him in all of the areas, the same areas that we've been tempted in. But you know what? God was working it out for good. Why? Because God was going to bring him out and he was going to be brought out victorious. And he was going to be brought out so that he was now equipped to be the very one who could help us in our weaknesses and in our temptations. Isn't it amazing that God used that? And, and I love this verse. In, um, I love this verse in uh, Hebrews chapter 5 where it says that though he was the son of God yet learned he obedience because of the things that he suffered. Let me, let me read it to you. Though he was a son yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered and having been perfected he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him Called by God a high priest. Do you know what? Jesus was perfect. And, and some, I used to read this and I used to think, I don't understand that verse. Though he was a son, yet he learned, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Do you know what it means? It means that although he was spotless, although he was a son of God and he never sinned, he had to learn the pain of what it meant to go through temptations and to go through suffering the way we do. He had to learn what it was like. Why? So that he would be a faithful high priest. Someone who could stand. A priest is someone who stands between God and man. And he went through all of that so that he could understand and experience what it's like to be tempted the way we are. Jesus Christ was tempted in every area, we're told, so that he could be someone who could stand in the gap for us and take us through. I I just love this. I've put down three points. Jesus now has the power to set free those who have been held in slavery by the enemy. Hebrews 2 and 15. I love that. God wants you to be released. He wants you. It says that he's able now to release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, we're going to sing this song at the end, I'm no longer a slave to fear. So many of us, are have, we've, we've been born in sin and we've lived our lives in fear. Fear to bondage, the bondage that sin locks us into. It's fearful. It's, a, it's not only the fear of death, but it's every other fear. We are locked into, because we were born 
we were born in, in, in sin and we were born really with a death sentence over us. And that held us captive and the enemy has held us captive. But Jesus Christ came and because he has gone through the temptation and because he knows what it's like, he knows how to set you free. And when he died on the cross, he paid the price. And, and even though you're saved and those old feelings of fear will come up again, because Jesus has gone through that fear and he's gone through that temptation, he has the power to make you free, to set you free from bondage. Number two, he's now equipped as your merciful and faithful high priest to atone for your sins. That means that, that every day, because of what he's done on the cross, because he was the perfect sacrifice, because he went through the, the temptation and he proved that, that Satan couldn't make him fall. Satan destroyed our forefathers. They failed, but Jesus didn't fail. So he became the perfect substitute. And because of that, we can have this daily forgiveness. We can be washed daily and cleansed daily as we walk with him. He's our faithful high priest. And thirdly, he's able to sympathise with us in our, us in our near talk. He is able to sympathise with us in all our weaknesses and our infirmities. Hebrews 4. That's why we should come boldly to the throne of grace. Do you know what? If Jesus hadn't gone through the temptations, he wouldn't have been able to be all of that for you and me. He needed to understand what it was like. He had to learn the cost, learn what it felt like to go through that terrible temptation. And he passed with flying colours. <coughs> you know, it's so important that we remember that Jesus was a real man, but he was really God. And because, because of his spotlessness, because of, of the fact that he had no sin in him or on him, he was able to be the perfect substitute for your sin and for mine. So that we can be forgiven constantly, wise clean. And not only that, but before Jesus went back to heaven, you remember, you remember that he, he told his disciples that he was going to go back to heaven but that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And this is where Laurie's word comes in so powerfully because what really struck me this week was that yes, after, I'm going to read another couple of verses in a moment, after Jesus went through all of this temptation, it says, then the devil left him. And it tells us in Matthew's gospel that the angels came to minister to him. Do you know, we as heirs of salvation, we're told in Hebrews chapter 1, we have our own angels to come and minister to us. But you know, far greater even than angels, we have the Holy Spirit. At the moment of salvation, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And he is able, and I just jotted down some of the things that he can do, and you can look up the, the verses in John 14 and John 16. He is called the comforter, the helper, the one who strengthens. He's the one who gives you counsel. He's the one who convicts you of what's right and what's wrong. He's the one who can enable you to hear what the Father and the Son are saying. He's the one who can anoint you, give you that anointing to do things under his, under his anointing. He's the one who can fill you with his power. And it tells us that after Jesus had gone through this temptation, it says, and after it says the devil had ended every temptation and departed from Jesus until an opportune time, 
Then it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding regions. Did you notice that? It was after, it was after the temptation that he went out in the power of the Spirit. I want to link it up again. Remember he was baptised and the Holy Spirit came and rested on him. At the moment of salvation, at the moment that you accept Jesus as to be your Saviour and your Lord, the Bible tells us that you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1. It's like a brand that nobody can see. I can't see it on you, but I'll tell you, Satan can see it on you. You're marked. There's a mark on each one of you if you've trusted Jesus to be your saviour. You're sealed with the Holy Spirit. But not only that, the Holy Spirit is in you. You carry the presence of God. And, and Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we're supposed to be constantly filled with the Spirit. It's not just a one-off thing. It's a constantly ongoing being filled with the Holy Spirit every day. And it's the Holy Spirit who can equip you and give you the counsel and give you the strength and the help and everything you need overcome temptation to keep on track for God and you know what if you do fall and if you do go your own way and listen to your flesh or get caught up with your eyes and and see something and it leads you astray or your pride takes over those three things will come against you but you know if you do fail in some of those areas you know what we have a faithful high priest we have one and let me read it to you I have to read it to you because Hebrews 4 we can't go away without reading this because we need to remember we have a we have a high priest who is touched, it tells us, in, in, in Corinthians, with the feelings of our infirmities. I'm going to read that to you in a moment. Here, and let me read it to you first. Here's what it says. No temptation has overtaken you, but what is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. That's what God wants you to remember. And he tells you that. In, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 and then if we do if we do fall and we do let God down Jesus is, is we don't only have the Holy Spirit but we have Jesus our high priest and here is what it tells us about coming to the throne of mercy and grace we need to remember God is full of mercy and grace here's what it says let me read this to you saying then we have a great high priest Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. One who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses. Okay, so he, he sympathises with you. You've got God's sympathy. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathise with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He has gone through the same temptations that you're maybe going through right now. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love those two words, mercy and grace. Mercy is what looks down and, and just lifts you up. And grace is what just, just covers you with his grace and his goodness. God... The mercy lifts you up. The grace gives you a favour you don't deserve. He puts the grace and favour on you that you don't deserve. Listen, every one of us need that throne of grace. Every one of us need help because you know what? We all 
we all fail, we all sin. There is not one, not one of us different. We all need, we all need him. I wrote this this morning about the Holy Spirit. You know him, you know the Holy Spirit. This is taken from John 16. For he dwells with you and will be in you. And he will teach you all things. And he will bring to remembrance all the things I said to you. Imagine that the Holy Spirit's living in you. He'll help you, he'll counsel you, he'll convict you, he'll direct you, he'll teach you, he's a teacher, comforter, give you comfort, everything you need. And on top of all of that, he'll bring to remembrance the things that God has already said to you. <laughs> things that God's spoken to you, he'll bring it to your remembrance. No wonder Laurie said this morning that we can overcome because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We are equipped ladies. We have the Holy Spirit. We have all that we need. Jesus has paid the price for our forgiveness. And then, of course, we haven't time to really look into it, but we'll be carrying on next week. We see that Jesus left in the power of the Spirit and he goes up. It says he went up to Galilee and then he went, and it seems he went right round Galilee teaching in Galilee. I, I love this. Um, I love this picture of Jesus going up to his home country, to Galilee. I read this this week. I'm just going to take a moment and then we'll finish. Very often we think that Galilee was a backward place and we kind of wonder how come that, that God's, you know, God's son lived in the Galilean area. Here's what it says. The people of Galilee were the most religious Jews in the world in the time of Jesus. The Galileans had more interaction with the world because they were living on the way of the sea, the trade route. They were living in, in, a, in a, a way of the, where the Jews of Jerusalem were far more isolated. They lived up in the mountains. But the Galilean people, it seems, were more famous than the Jewish teachers who had come from Galilee. The, Jew, the, the Galilean teachers were known for their great reverence for scripture and the passionate desire to be faithful to it. You might remember Paul talked about sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a teacher. That's who trained Paul. He came from Galilee. Sometimes we think Galilee was a backward place. Galilee was where lots of these teachers came from. And it says, they were known for their great reverence for scripture and the passionate desire to be faithful to it. This translated into vibrant religious communities devoted to strong families. Their country, whose synagogues echoed the debate and discussions about keeping the Torah, they resisted the pagan influence of Hellenism, that was the whole Greek stuff, far more than the, their Judean counterparts did. Jesus was born, grew up and spent his ministry among people who knew scripture by memory, who debated his application with enthusiasm and who loved God with all their hearts, all their souls and all their might. God prepared this environment carefully so that Jesus would have exactly the context that he needed to present the message of the kingdom of heaven. You know, sometimes we forget that the Jewish people love the Torah. We were in Jerusalem this summer and uh, our guide, a guy called Baruch, said, would you like to meet one of my friends? Now, Baruch's a born-again Christian. He loves the word of God passionately. He knows the Holy Land so well. He knows the scripture so well. And he said, I'd love you to meet this Jewish kind of rabbi kind of guy. And he brought us up to this little shop where this Jewish man brought us all in and closed the door of the shop. 
And he just sat down and he started to talk to us as a Jew, as a Jew who doesn't know Jesus. And he was full of respect. He knew, our, he knew the New Testament. He knew lots about, about um, what we believe. And he was so respectful, and we were very respectful to him, but he started to tell us about how much he loved the scriptures. I couldn't wet ladies. He said, I love the scriptures so much. He said, I don't, I don't try to do the law because I'm afraid of God. I do it because I love my father. I do it because I love God. And you know, it really touched something deep in me. Here is a Jew who yet has not come to faith. I believe that man will. But the Jews have, and many of them still have, a love, a passion for God's word and for God the Father. Do you know what? Here are we. And we have been, we have been, our eyes have been opened. We have received the gospel. We have received the truth. We have received that Jesus was the Messiah, fulfilling all the Old Testament prophecies. We have received him into our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit inside us, illuminating the scriptures. We have all that we need to overcome. And so often, we behave and we talk as though we haven't anything to help us. We have so much. And you know what? On top of all of that, we have each other. We're part of the one body of Christ. When one's down, the other can help, help them up. We need to be there to speak into each other's lives. That is what EGAS is all about. It's all about learning to get past the temptations. It's all about learning to walk past the unbelief. It's all about saying, I'm not going to look that way. I have my eyes in a different direction. I'm looking into the face of Jesus. Places to go, things to do for God. And you know what? I am believing that we will see many of you women rising up to become women who will overcome those daily temptations, those things that trip you up again and again and again. I have them too. I believe God wants me to start to pass those things. Because you know what? There's many people who are blind who need us to lead them to the kingdom of God. We need to learn the lesson, ladies. We're going to continue next week. But Lord, right now, I just pray that your word would go deep into our hearts. That we would remember how much you love us. That we were, would remember that you were prepared to go to the cross. That you were prepared to face the enemy head on. And to go through his, the greatest of his temptations. That you were the overcomer. That you used the word of God against him. And that you prevailed. And that you became our saviour. And you died on the cross. That you could help us in our trials and our temptations. And God, just as, as all of the temptations that you went through. As they actually showcased you to be the son of God and as they were actually used Lord to bring you into your destiny as our saviour and Lord God would you help us to see that the things that beset us and the difficulties and the trials of life that your plan oh God is to use those very things to make us stronger and use them for good so Lord that we might become a stronger people who are more equipped to lead others through temptations because we have learned to trust you, Lord, in our dark times. Help us, Lord, that we will lead others to the light. Help us, O oh God, to put our faith and our trust in you and to remember we have the Holy Spirit and we have the power of the word of God, the sword of the Spirit in our hand. Lord, would you bless Egal's today and may we go out of here feeling that we have been touched by you, God. Will you touch even individuals right now and as we sing this song, Lord, may we remember that we are no longer a slave to fear and that we might go through that, that way, that sea that you're opening up for us, that we might go through it, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that fear does is make us try to hide and run away. 
You ever notice that when you're fearful about something, you don't want to think about it, you want to get away from it. And I just believe, as a friend is always saying, we need to face our fears in the face. We need to bring them to Jesus. We need to bring them into the light. And that is so true because it's Satan that does the, the damage he's done in the dark. And we try to hide our fears and hide our stuff. God wants us to walk in the light as he is in the light. And so we just want to bring our fears out today and we say, Lord, thank you that we can face whatever's going on in our life. We can look it in the eye and we can say, God, you are greater than this. God, we do not have to be afraid because of what you've done, Jesus. We thank you that we don't have to be in bondage or slave to fear. So Lord, we just pray over every single woman this morning that they might know this freedom. And if there's something going on in your life that you feel is a kind of a fear that's nagging and it's there and it's just pulling you back and it's, it's pulling you aside and off the track, then we would encourage you to come up for prayer. Uh, Susan felt as we were worshipping, she felt that the Lord was showing us there was someone in here who might possibly have breast cancer and if that's the case, come up and we pray for you. Stuff like that is so fearful. And we don't know what's going on in all of our lives today. We don't know what's going on in your life. Or what might be, the enemy might be using against you. But one thing we do know is greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And so let's just lift up the name of Jesus. Let's just remember that we can exalt him and, and acknowledge that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And whatever has to get to you, it has to pass him. And if it goes past him, then it comes with a message of good for us to turn it for good. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this morning. We put everything into your hands. And we praise you, Lord, that you're a God who loves us. And a God who has done everything we need. That we might go through this life, Lord. Living a full life for your glory. And leading many others into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.